0: Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care.
1: Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Cancer in the Workplace, Understanding Your Legal Protections. And this is part two of a five part series on Life with Cancer, Getting a Guide to Getting the Best Care. Now today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations it really is because of our collaboration and your interest in the program today, that we have um, on the program today over 454 participants on the call today. And you come from all over the United States, um, from both rural, urban, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, Ireland, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. So this is a bit of a global call as well. And we're delighted that you're all on the call today. Um, This is an important topic, and it's one that really uh, touches many of your um, work lives um, and your your personal lives as well. So it's a very important program. Today's program is supported by a number of um, industry support by AbbVie, Bristol-Myers Squibb, the Celgene Corporation, Ethicon, part of the Johnson & Johnson family of of companies, Gilead. Takeda Oncology, a grant from Genentech, an educational grant from Pharmacyclics, LLC, an ABB company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, and Exalexis. And I want to, really want to thank them for the support not only of today's program, but of this entire five-part series. So we have wonderful speakers today, I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is... Former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology, um, and Dr. Fleischman is going to be addressing understanding the meaning of work, taking, talking with your healthcare team about work, and managing your cancer treatments while working. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman.
2: Hello, everybody, and thank you for participating in today's call. And thank you, Dr. Bessner, for organizing it. Um, When um, people get diagnosed with cancer or other serious illnesses, but particularly cancer, often work is uh, the last thing that people think about at that moment. It's often about mortality and family and treatments and those kinds of things yet uh... work is a very big part of most of our lives Um, when i'm talking about work i i really mean it in the most broad sense that's work inside the home as well as work outside the home uh... and particularly uh... this is often a, a quite mixed-up issue because uh, people who work inside the home often are raising their families feel somehow excluded from these conversations, yet many of the problems and obstacles that we all face uh, covers work inside the home as well as out because those functions um, may not be able to be met for a period of time, and the family, just like the workplace, um, must figure out how that they will get done. So uh, most people don't think about work. They often think about their family and their activities, but not necessarily work. And um, many of us uh, sometimes find that work helps define who we are, how we see ourselves, how we think of ourselves. Um, It's a big part of the kinds of things we do um, when we think about who we are, what our place in the world is, and how we can um, help others that's often through work. So it doesn't necessarily define us totally, but it helps define us in part. Um I think we could have a very long and good discussion about that, but I think that may be best for another time or maybe a family meal. But in the western world this is a often a situation that we find ourselves in particularly when facing cancer. Um some of us find that we spend more time in our workplace than we do with our families uh we joke about it sometimes um some people even uh joke that they have a work husband or a work wife or a work father or mother or work children uh but the people at our workplace uh, are are spending a lot of time with us and can be uh, quite close friends um although they don't necessarily socialize with our families, sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, but they certainly can be um a, a big part of our lives and and in in hours spent sometimes more than we spend with our um family or friends outside of work um, the I guess the thing about that is that most of us or some of us feel that we're under pressure at work to be our absolute best whereas when we socialize with our friends or family or at home we can let down our guard a little bit and um, the, the way we see ourselves can be somewhat different at work and at home and all that collides at the time of a cancer diagnosis and uh, deciding about the treatment plan that's best for you and your family um, some of us feel terribly guilty about missing work um, some of us undergo years of training to do what we do and um, don't want to lose that and don't want to lose our skills. Um, Some of us secretly may be quite happy to have a bit of time off, especially from a job that's not quite fulfilling or a workplace that seems um, somewhat unsupportive. But that's a secret thing, and often that's buried deep in our minds at the time of the cancer diagnosis Um, and many people will tell us about this through the course of their treatment. Other people say that it's hard having cancer because cancer is one of those situations where you can't be in control of your body and your schedule and your environment and all the things that happens and um, the sense of sort of regularity of our schedules is put aside when we're unable to go to work suddenly and for a period of time or again if work is in the home do things inside the home on the practical side many people say that they have to work because they need the income they need the income to pay for for their regular living expenses. They need their income to pay for cancer-related expenses expenses, since, as we know, um, even good insurance doesn't cover 100% of our cost for treatment 100% of the time. Some folks tell us that they need to continue working because that's where they get their health insurance, and they're worried how they will will be able to keep their health insurance or afford the premiums for the health insurance um, if they're not working, and health insurance becomes vital during uh, cancer treatment. So there are some practical issues as well as some just personal identity issues. Um, I, I guess not often in the first visit, but very close to the first visit. When work is an issue for you, you really need to bring this up with your oncologist, your oncology nurse, you're being treated at a larger center where there's a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary team, um, the social worker, the physician's assistant, the nurse practitioner, whoever really is involved with your care, and explain to them exactly what your job entails and what kind of work you do if you're thinking that maybe you would be able to continue working throughout your treatment. Sometimes it's possible. Sometimes it's not, but you need to really explain. Are you working inside or outside? Are there, um, is there an environment of dust or chemicals? How close do you work to others? What are the scheduling issues that uh, are involved with uh, your work day or, or work week? Um, and trying to fit that into what the plan would be for your treatment, be it surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, um, and, and, and the schedule may ch- will, will change um, if those treatments are all being given um, because in surgery you're going to be out for at least a period of time, so hopefully a shorter period of time than in the old days, but certainly for a period of time. That may come first. That may not chemotherapy may be first, surgery may be second, radiation therapy may be last. That often involves weeks of, um, of attending radiation therapy at your local center, uh, but it may not take the whole day, and you may or may not be too tired to do that. So uh, describing exactly what your work situation is is important so that the team can help you fit all this together, if at all possible. Um uh, Deborah Wolf will speak about the ability to have a part-time play a part-time assignment during a full-time work, um, and that may may be possible. It may not be. I think there are many issues. It depends upon the kind of work you do, uh, the size of um, the uh, company or the people you work for, uh, what, uh, wh- how that affects your income and your benefits. Um, the idea that you may want to go full time in the future, or that you'd like some guarantee that you'd be able to be a full time employee in the future, that's something we're going to be discussing more during the call. Also, working with limited duties um, is something that um, often comes up and may or may not be possible. So, you um, need to think about these things. In addition to that, um, treatment may entail traveling to a different city. Um, and that involves lots of other things beyond work, like who, who takes you there, who stays with you, um, if you're able to get back to your own city or can work uh, at a distance, if you're able to work online, how flexibility is the scheduling. Um, those kinds of things need to be um, very evident in your discussion with your treatment team. Um Knowing what the limitations could be as well as the things you can do are really, really important. And often those discussions happen maybe at the first visit, sometimes at the second, but early in, in care so all this can fit together. So I think I'll stop there and uh, turn it back to Dr. Messner.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really very informative and really set the stage for today's program. So thank you very much. And I know there'll be questions to you during the Q&A, so thank you. Our next speaker... Um, is Ms. Deborah Wolf. Ms. Wolf is an attorney. She's senior supervising attorney, Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group. Ms. Wolf is going to address a number of topics having to do with um, legal protections in the workplace, benefits, um, and disclosure, and, uh, and issues around disability. Uh, and so, I'm going to now turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Wolf.
3: Thank you, Dr. Messner. I'm so pleased to be a part of this teleconference to discuss legal protections in the workplace. So, as Dr. Messner mentioned, I'm going to give an overview of the laws that protect people while still working, and also if you need to take a medical leave, I'll also talk about what to do if you believe you are subject to discrimination at work or have to stop work due to illness. My focus in this talk will be on federal laws that apply to all 50 states, but I do urge everyone listening to also become familiar with your state laws as they often expand on the federal laws, and I'll give some examples as I go forward. This is a lot of information to discuss over the next few minutes, but it should give everyone an overview of your rights and responsibilities. Now before I discuss the applicable laws, I want to urge everyone, if you are working, to make sure to review the specific policies of your employer for medical leave and disability pay. Every employer should provide a summary of their policies and benefits called a summary plan description. And these policies must comply with the laws I'll be talking about, but in some circumstances might even offer a greater benefit. I'm going to start with a law I'm sure most of you have heard of, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or as often called the ADA. Now, this is a federal law that applies to all 50 states, to everyone who works for an employer with 15 or more employees. The ADA has a broad definition of what is considered a qualified dis- disability and even includes illnesses that have gone into remission such as cancer. And as a result, cancer is covered under the law as a qualified disability in most cases. The ADA has two main benefits. The first is that it requires an employer to make reasonable accommodations when requested by an employee. This allows an employee to go to human resources or their supervisor if there is no human resources and request a modification of their work schedule, work environment, or company policies. What's reasonable is determined on a case-by-case basis, but an employer must grant the request unless it creates an undue hardship, which is a very tough burden for the employer. Even extra extra cost to accommodate an employee is not always an undue burden, but it depends on the size of the employer. Some of the common accommodations I have helped my clients with cancer set up include the following, a later work start time due to side effects of medication, perhaps a shorter work day. Dr. Fleischman talked about uh, requesting a part-time schedule for a period of time as someone gets through their treatment, and that might be a valid accommodation request, sometimes just an extra break during the day to rest. I recently assisted a graphic designer set up a schedule that allowed her to work from home three days a week. But it's important to remember that you have to be able to do the essential functions of your job, so working from home may not always be an option for everyone. There's no set list of accommodations, and I tell people to really think what might help them to do their job. Um, There is a terrific website called the Job Accommodation Network, or askjan.org, that provides a lot of detailed information and suggests common accommodations, a really terrific site to take a look at. The employer can't refuse an accommodation, but they can negotiate. Perhaps they'll say, you know what, this isn't going to work, but let's talk about what will work for both of us it has to be an interactive process or a discussion. And if somebody has an accommodation in place, but they need something different, it's always modifiable. So it's important to remember that the employee must request the accommodation, and generally the employer is not allowed to ask if an employee is disabled or needs an accommodation. And this puts the burden on the employee to come forward, and it's important to do this if you believe your illness or treatment is impacting your work. We'll talk a little later about discrimination, but an employee may have a legal claim against their employer if they refuse to approve a reasonable accommodation, but only if the accommodation is requested and the employer is aware of the disability. I always suggest that accommodation requests be made in writing with a letter of of support from your doctor certifying that the accommodation is medically necessary. I also suggest that the letter state that the employee is able to perform their essential job tasks. And any medical letter you provide to support your request goes into a confidential file separate from your general employee folder. So the second ADA benefit is that the law prohibits discrimination against an employee because of their disability. This includes in hiring, firing, demoting, or any type of harassment. Also, if a person is able to do their job and has an accommodation, an employer can't take action that adversely affects their job, such as termination or demotion, if the reason is based solely on the disability or the accommodation. An employer can still address performance issues or other non-disability related concerns, and I'll talk in a little bit um, more about discrimination. The next law that I want to discuss is the Family Medical Leave Act, or FMLA. FMLA applies to employers with 50 or more employees, and to be covered, you must have worked at your job for 12 months and for 1,250 hours in the last year. The employer gets to choose if they want to use a 12-month calendar year or, as most do, start the 12 months running from the date FMLA protection is requested. Once, if an employee qualifies, they're entitled to 12 weeks of job protected leave every 12 months. FMLA is unpaid but can be supplemented with sick time, um, other paid time off, or short-term disability. Employee benefits such as health insurance must continue for the 12 weeks, although you must continue to pay any contributions made for the premiums. Um, What's really important is that FMLA also allows for what's called intermittent leave, which may include a few hours a week for treatment or a doctor visit. So as an example, an employee with treatment every other Thursday could request FMLA leave every other Thursday afternoon and Friday if needed to recuperate if all your sick time is used up. With FMLA, your job will be protected for up to 12 weeks worth of time off. So it's an excellent benefit for someone who has used all of their sick time and is worried about losing their job or being threatened by a supervisor for excessive absences. Also, check your state laws as many states now have paid or protected leave policies even if you don't qualify for FMLA. FMLA requires that a form be completed by your doctor certifying that you have a serious medical condition, um, with the ADA, you can only request the benefits such as accommodations for yourself, but under FMLA, time off can be requested to care for yourself or a family member such as a spouse, parent, or child. If your FMLA protected time off is used up and you think you may be able to rent- return to work shortly, although not in the um, 12 weeks, Additional time off may be requested as a reasonable accommodation under the ADA. Also, if you work for a smaller company, less than 50, so you don't qualify for FMLA, time off for treatment can be requested as an accommodation as well. There's no set guidelines, and what's reasonable is determined on a case-to-case basis, but some courts have even held that a one-year leave is reasonable. So I was asked to briefly discuss discuss disclosure under the ADA and as it relates to discrimination. Disclosure is a very personal choice, and you have the right to determine who and under what circumstances you want to disclose your health issues. And I always urge caution when disclosing to coworkers and supervisors. Under the ADA, disclosure is generally not required with some exceptions. So when applying and interviewing for jobs, employers cannot ask any direct health or disability questions. They can't ask you if you are disabled or if you have an illness, although they can ask if you can perform the duties of the job. An employer cannot require that you take a medical exam before you're offered a job. And I usually suggest that if someone does need an accommodation, they first get the job and then request the accommodation. If an employer makes a job offer, they can condition that offer on your passing a required medical exam, but only if all entering employees for that job category have to take the same exam. In other words, certain people can't be singled out. Employers may ask you to complete medical questionnaires or have a medical exam, and you must be truthful in responding. However, an employer can't revoke a job offer because of information about your disability revealed during this exam, as long as you can perform the essential functions of the job. Very few employers actually make job offers that require a medical review. And often it is medical facilities that need to ensure the safety of their patients or positions that involve public safety, such as flight attendants. Um, But any company is allowed to adopt this policy. Once you are working, your employer cannot request that you take a medical examination or ask questions about your disability unless they're job-related and necessary for the conduct of your employer's business. So, again, employees in jobs that involve public safety, such as maybe a firefighter or a bus driver, may have more job-related inquiries than someone who works in an office. My general advice is to disclose when required, and this would be if you need an ADA accommodation or time off under FMLA. Often coworkers and supervisors are not your friends and they, be concerned about, they become concerned about how your illness will affect their own job performance, such as a supervisor who needs to make sure you complete a certain project or make a quota if you work in sales. If you must disclose for an accommodation or for FMLA, go to human resources if you can, as they understand these laws that protect you and many supervisors do not. They also do have confidentiality requirements. There's no law that prohibits a coworker from sharing this information, but the rules do prohibit um, human resources from disclosing any protected medical information. And often fellow employees and even supervisors don't understand these laws and what their responsibilities are, so best to go to human resources or someone in your office who is responsible for employee benefits. But even with all these legal protections, discrimination does occur. If someone is working and believes they're being treated unfairly, they should first try to resolve through human resources. Your HR employees are trained in these laws and should understand your rights and try to help you resolve. If the concern remains unresolved, a person can file a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, which enforces the Americans with Disabilities Act. An EEOC complaint has strict deadlines, which can vary by state, so a person should always act quickly. The EEOC will investigate the complaint to to determine if it has merit, and may conduct a hearing if they believe there was discrimination. They can also issue what's called a right to sue letter so that you can file a court case. And this right to sue letter is required before filing a lawsuit for discrimination under the ADA. And if you file a lawsuit without this right to sue letter, the case will be dismissed. This is one area in which I also suggest you check your state laws. For example, in New York, our city and state human rights laws mirror the Americans with Disabilities Act, including reasonable accommodations, but apply to employers with four or more employees, offering protections to a broader group of people. And if you feel that you're being discriminated against, I also urge you to talk to a lawyer before taking any legal steps so that you fully understand both your rights and responsibilities as the law is complicated. I want to review and summarize some of the practical solutions to avoid workplace issues, a summary of what I've discussed so far. So first, understand your benefits, read your summary of benefits, and understand your employer's medical leave policy. Many employers and unions offer more generous time off policies than under FMLA. Second, use human resources or talk to an attorney if you feel you're being discriminated against. Be proactive to avoid any adverse action as a result of the discrimination. And then third, think about any ADA accommodations that might help you in your job and seek a letter of medical support from your doctor. And finally, think of carefully of who you might disclose to. I want to stress that I speak to many people who are working through their treatment, who have employers and coworkers who are incredibly supportive, so I don't want to give the impression that there's always problems, um, but it's up to the individual to decide if disclosure is needed, and I just urge everyone to think it through and do what's best for them. So even with these protections I've discussed, there are times when a person needs to take time off from work. This could be short-term or longer for surgery or side effects from treatment or illness. And the most common concerns I hear are regarding health insurance and continuation of income. So I also want to briefly address these. If a person can't return to work and receives a notice of termination, they have a right under a law called COBRA to continue their health insurance for themselves as well as anyone in the family covered for at least 18 months. COBRA applies to employers with 20 or more employees, but again, check your state law. In New York, we have a state COBRA law that applies to employers with four or more employees and gives health insurance benefits for three years. With COBRA, you now have to pay the full premium with no employer contribution, but you pay at the lower group rate. If you are approved for Social Security disability, you can extend your COBRA from 18 months to 29 months, but you do have to let the insurance company know as soon as the disability is is approved. As for income replacement, there may be a number of options available. Five states, which are California, Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, and Rhode Island, plus Puerto Rico, require employers to offer short-term disability benefits. Although this is good news, the benefit is often much less than the salary and not a livable wage, and many employers also offer private short-term disability plans. These are generally for 26 weeks and pay a percentage of income. If you can't return to work within the 26-week period, you may have a long-term disability policy through through work, so important to check your benefits. If your employer offers long-term disability, there's also generally a 26-week wait period. And that amount is based on a percentage of salary, which is anywhere from 60 to 100%. It's important to review the policy before applying, so that you understand all the benefits and qualifications. As some long-term disability plans do have pre-existing condition exclusions, there's also the option of applying for a Social Security disability benefit, and there are two: as Social Security Disability and SSI. Both both are based on an applicant's inability to work not just at their particular job, but in any capacity. So you have to establish that you cannot perform not only the same work you did before disability, but any other type of work. You also have to show that it's likely that the disability is expected to last at least one year. Along with establishing disability, the, SS, the SSDI eligibility is based on one's work history. There have to be sufficient work credits, and this will also determine the amount of the benefit, and right now the maximum is about 2600 For somebody without a work history, SSI may be available, but SSI does have income and resource limits, unlike Social Security Disability. For SSI, an applicant can't have resources of over $2,000 for a single person or $3,000 for a couple. SSDI has a 26-week wait period from onset of disability to the start of benefits. SSI has no wait period. The maximum SSI benefit in 2019 is $771, although some states, including New York, will supplement that amount. For both long-term disability and Social Security disability, it's critical to talk with your doctor to make sure he or she will certify that you are unable to work as a result of your cancer diagnosis or treatment. I want to also mention that there's a special Social Security program called Compassionate Allowances, which allows an expedited approval, and many cancer diagnoses are included on the Compassionate Allowance list. A person can apply for SSD online on the Social Security website. You can also open an account on their website to see if you qualify and how much your monthly payment would be. I know this is a lot of information, and I encourage listeners to take the time to educate themselves about these laws and their state laws that do offer protection and seek out resources such as cancer care to have a better understanding of their rights and responsibilities. I also want to briefly mention that there's a National Cancer Legal Service Network, which is a group of attorneys like myself who offer free legal advice to people with cancer. And you can check out what help might be available to you in your state. And that website is nclsn.org. Again, it's nclsn.org. Thanks so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Wolf. That was really wonderful, and what a wonderful resource, also to uh, leave people with information of of how to cons- to get legal help throughout the country. And actually, um, I should say that at the end of today's program, we will be sending you an evaluation form. Um, actually, probably will send it to you. Um, tomorrow, And that evaluation form will actually have all the resources that have been mentioned during the program as well. So um, it's not just an evaluation form, you also have just links and information about other resources that you can contact to get help. So thank you. That was very comprehensive, Ms. Wolf, and I know there'll be questions for you during um, the Q&A. Thank you. And we're going to bring back now Dr. Stuart Fleischman, who's going to be addressing solutions to address workplace challenges tips to, for creating a plan to continue working, and the importance of self-advocacy. It's, again, my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman.
2: Great. Thanks again, Dr. Messner. Um, I, I, I guess this is a, really a continuation of what both of us have been um, discussing, which are really thinking through the kinds of things you do at the course, during the course of your work day and asking your treatment team about the ways that you may not you may be more limited and may not be able to meet those functions um you'll get a good sense from them about of uh, the kinds of things that you won't be able to do again based upon um, infectious precautions or um, nerve ending problems or any of the the things that can happen but don't always happen to people who are in the middle of cancer treatment. Um, Who you bring that to at work is very variable. Um, I I guess we can discuss this more in the question and answer period as well, but some people feel comfortable going to their supervisor or boss. Some people will go to a a human resources representative um, who may feel they have an advocate, um, especially if they believe that the workplace won't be flexible enough to accommodate their needs. Um, for uh, people who are um, union members, sometimes um, a union representative or a union delegate will know exactly what to do, uh, and they can often help with um, figuring out who to go to and how to tell. Um, it. it it relates to the the, the disclosure that uh, Ms. Wolf was talking about before, uh, but the specifics for, are different for each of us based upon our workplace and um, whether there is a human resources department. Many small uh, corporations or many many small workplaces don't have that, um, and certainly many of us are not unionized. And the kinds of things that um, you need to think about are um, if you had to wear mask or gloves at least for part of the day would you be able to some people may some people may not um, scheduling is is important as we've discussed already a full time part time uh, is part time whole days or partial days each during the week if you need to take breaks for um uh, just to re- regain some energy or um, if you're taking any oral drugs or uh, access to water, access to bathrooms, the kinds of things that we take for granted suddenly really have to be part of a plan um, during a, some types of cancer treatment. Um, do you need to have food available? Um, do you need to hydrate more, which means you need access to a bathroom more? Um, those sorts of things. Uh, we somebody already mentioned working from home as an option and um, for some folks that may be helpful and it may be advisable and it may be possible for some of us obviously not what about the commute Zero hours have to be changed so that if you're commuting in public transportation you're not commuting at the time where the um, bus or the metro is crowded and you're more likely to catch uh, a cold from somebody let's say um, will you be able to travel um, to go to work if you do commute to work? Um, do you need to have part of the day that can be um, left for a power nap? Is there a place to do that, a quiet place, um, a place that you have some privacy? There are many, many of questions like this that are variable as the jobs that we have and as the different workplaces that we have. So these are the kinds of things that uh, really need to start with a discussion with your team um, and some thought on your part about the kinds of things that you do during your work day itself um, again when you're facing the the idea of cancer and cancer treatment, some of this may sound pretty trivial, <laughs> but if uh, as as we spoke about before, if you need to be able to pay your bills and keep your um, insurance up, that these do become very very important uh, discussions. So, advocating for yourself, speaking up to the right people. At the right time, and those are capital letter exclamation points, um, is really really important, and that will vary based upon the, the the type of place that you work, and how many people work there, and uh, what the sort of the whole climate is in in, in your workplace. Um, I have um, seen many folks who have are able not to work, uh, either they're told they can't, or they're uh, have chosen not to work, even though um, they may be losing some income. And um, they find that, uh, apart from treatment, that they have a lot of time to think. Uh, many people will sometimes go to Internet and read things that don't pertain to them um, and worry that the, their situation is much worse than it really is. I have seen folks who are successful in spending that time, uh, and often that means... Uh, learning something new, uh, learning a new language. I've had patients who take up a hobby that they weren't able to take up uh, in the past. Um, You have sometimes a little more time and um, to focus on something new which helps divert attention and gets you a new skill. I have been through this with a number of patients who really find that they are thinking or thinking about changing their jobs and maybe this is a time to think about it um, after their treatment is over and learning a new skill or networking, um, much of it online obviously, Um, can be the kind of thing that they can take advantage of when they find extra time on their hands. I have patients who have volunteered uh, time and effort not necessarily um, going somewhere but helping out. um, I had a patient years ago who um, helped with office work from their church which was delivered to them at home Um, so they could feel useful and help out their church at a time uh, when the church couldn't hire uh, any clerical help. Um, There may be something at home that you really have been putting off and you've neglected to do, and it's time uh, to tackle that based upon your energy and any limitations that the cancer treatment may give you. So although a work is part of our identity and part of how we see ourselves, Some folks have used this opportunity to really look at things in a slightly different way, do something a little different. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, i found that um, many libraries have very rich uh, internet sites that people uh, get access to when they get a library card, which I believe is free or very low cost pretty much all over the country. And yes, it is dependent upon internet access. Not all of us have that. Um, Some of us actually can go to our libraries And again, depending upon energy and transportation And proximity to people But uh, I've been really impressed over the years With how people have chosen to use the time um, Even if they're not working To retain um, not only a sense of identity But to pass the time And feel like they are doing something useful So I think I'm going to stop here So we'll have time for a Q&A Thank you
1: uh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. Again, it was wonderful, wonderful uh, covering these topics, and I know we're going to move right on to questions in just a minute. Um, I just want to say a few words about um, how Cancer Care might be of help to some of you on the call. Um, some of you may know of Cancer Care already, so I'll just briefly describe that Cancer Care is a national organization, and we do provide um, both practical and financial assistance. Um, the staff here are primarily master's level trained oncology social workers, and they offer counseling services both on the telephone and online so that indeed we are accessible to anyone both um, in the U.S. or internationally as well um, by calling our, our hope line at one eight hundred eight one three four six seven three. 813 4673 or visiting our website at www.cancercare.org, and again, you'll get all that information um, with your evaluation. Um, But the counseling we do is both to talk to people about their concerns um, or or worries or just how they might want to talk with their children or their boss about their cancer um, or how they're thinking about themselves and what their plans might be so, some of the things we talked about today, just thinking about what they want to do um, also um, we offer support groups both on the telephone and online so for some people, a telephone support group can be very helpful it 's because they 're national in scope, it depends on they are they occur in uh, in real time, so it depends on if you're on the East Coast and indeed and the program is happening on East Coast time and you're on West Coast, it might be more of a stretch than if you're kind of more close by to, to when the call is at the time that the call is happening. On the other hand, some people may prefer calls at different times of the day just because of their own circadian clock, how it works best for them. And we also have online support groups. Those are 24 hours a day. You can post. Um, they are moderated, all of them moderated by an oncology social worker and indeed um, you can um, participate in those programs just by signing up for them, uh, being screened by one of our social workers, and participating. We also offer these workshops, these educational workshops, and, of course, we have publications and, of course, our website. So with that all being said, we now have time for questions, and I'm going to ask Norma if she would explain to the uh, participants how to queue up and ask questions, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Norma?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one, on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question.
1: And we have a question in front of our online participants. Um, so um, this is a question um, for... Uh, so this is a question for um, Dr. Fleischman. I have a full-time job. How will side effects from my chemotherapy affect my ability to work?
2: Oh, that's a good question. That requires a lot more details that we wouldn't have here that you need to discuss with the treatment team. really depends upon the chemo regimen itself. It's the timing of the regimen. It's whatever preparation you have to do. It's... Um, how uh, low your resistance goes after treatment, how long it's going to go down. Uh, do you have to be careful not to cut yourself during chemotherapy? I mean, the there are many, many details that are particular to certain chemotherapies and certain combinations. So uh, it would be Really impossible to answer that question for you definitely. But if you think about the kinds of things we spoke about before, figuring out what you do at work, and then figuring out with your treatment team the kinds of limitations you'll have, that's the first step to answering the question.
1: Excellent, thank you. And uh, and Ms. Hope, you want to add anything to that as well?
3: Well, the only thing I'll add is you know once once you do understand what your limitations are, I mean that's you know one of the Beauties of both the laws that I've talked about. With the ADA, you can ask, request as an accommodation, changes in your work schedule, whether it's a, a more flexible day, a later start in the morning, or if you do need to take some time off, you can think of intermittent FMLA. That allows you to take. You know, some people will take FMLA in a. 12-week period, let's say, following surgery, but for others it might be just, you know, a day a week just to rest up and, and, you know, recharge your body, Um, you know, really to think about how these laws might benefit you and what's going to work best for you, and that's also a good discussion to have with your medical team in terms of, you know, what they think is going to be best for you as well. Excellent, Thank you. Good question, actually, and it's a question I think comes up a lot
1: um in terms of um people worry about this right away and it is um I think as has been discussed needs to be really discussed with your healthcare team and um who needs to know much more about your type of work and um also to to also help to work with you. Well Dr. Fletch we do want to comment about, about working the do the healthcare team working around both treatment side effects which in today's world are more manageable than they certainly used to be in such a long time ago, if you want to comment on that.
2: Sure. Um the uh idea that we our resistance goes down or um uh, that we have to be careful to stay away from from people with coughs and colds and all those things, uh is still um Valid today, but we become much more resistant with the kinds of things that can be given with our medic with our chemotherapy medications. So there are medicines to use to boost the white blood cell count to fight infections, medi- medications bo- that that can boost the red cell count um, to normalize that, so you're not as fatigued. Um, th- those sorts of things weren't available um, many years ago, uh, and a lot of our our fears and the things that we remember from older relatives going through cancer are often based uh, from those times. Um, It it really means figuring out what you do, talking with your team about what uh, limitations they can anticipate, and then seeing if those merge together or not.
1: Thank you. Um, I think, as Dr. Fleischman said, sometimes one anticipates things because we, we... we have we've seen them in our family members or friends years ago, and that's how we've identified what chemotherapy does, or any of the newer treatments as well. Indeed, there are n- many new ways to manage treatment side effects, even sort of prevent them. And if you know what those are, and your healthcare team knows what those are, they can work with you to try to um, really figure out a plan that really is reasonable for you to, to try, and that that really also make you feel better as well that's, that's throughout your treatment. Um, so thank you. Um, it's a good question and um, excellent question. Um, and um, another uh, question from our online participants. Um, so uh, this is from Miss Wolf. I'm ready to look for a new job after being out of work for the past year and a half. What tips can you provide for job hunting after cancer? Do you tell interviewers? Do you let companies know? why I've been out of work. So if you could address this in a general way, because um, for everyone just to kind of think about how they would approach this.
3: Sure. And that's, that's a very common question. And there's really two parts to this question. And one is how do I explain that absence and do I, tell people that I've been out for health reasons, and two, you know, what can be asked. So, you know, as I mentioned, I'm going to start with the second part of the question, actually, which, as as I mentioned before, you know, under the law, employers during the interview and in phase can't ask any medical questions. Um, own, they certainly can ask somebody and make sure that they can do all the essential functions of their job, but they can't look at a gap in a resume and ask somebody, for example, if they were out for medical reasons. That would be a prohibited question. But they can certainly address and ask, you know, what somebody was doing over the past year. Um, This is a good time where it's – it's good to connect with a job coach or somebody who helps people reintegrate back into the workforce because they often have some really terrific suggestions for how to talk about gaps in resume resumes. Some people simply say, I took time off for personal reasons. Other people talk about other things that they may have done during time off, perhaps some... Um, I've I've had some clients, for example, who although they've been off for for treatment, have attended a class or focused on a skill such as writing. Um, a lot of very very different circumstances. So you know to think about um, if there's anything that you could bring up in terms of what you've been doing over that period of time. Some people are very open and they talk about their health issues. The concern is that if an employer is looking at a number of different candidates for a job, there certainly are some employers out there that are going to focus on your abilities and your strengths. And your work history, as the law requires, but there's others that may look at this and say, "Well, I've got six great candidates for the job, and I'm going to choose the person that hasn't had health reasons, health health issues, because they may be more reliable." Um, so that's why I always suggest, you know, get the job with, and then you can certainly ask for any accommodations that may be needed. Um, but there's no requirement that during the job interview process that you talk about your, your health issues or, you know, why if you were out for disability leave that, you know, that that was the reason that there is that gap in your resume.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And um, another question, for, um, Ms. Wolf. Um So um, it was mentioned to ask for accommodations after getting the job. Have you seen this strategy backfire on employees? If you could comment on this, Ms. Wolf.
3: Well, it it really shouldn't backfire because it's you know I, I assuming that a person is working for an employer with fifteen or more employees so that they're covered under the ADA. It's not something that an employer can do. It's something that an employer has to do, and you have to have that interactive process, so that once an employee identifies as being somebody with a disability. Whether they've been at their job for one day or a thousand days, it doesn't matter. They have an absolute right to an accommodation as long as they can do the essential functions of their job. Um, and as I said when I was speaking, for the most part, under employers understand the, their responsibilities. They work with employees to set up accommodations. Certainly, there are circumstances where employers don't act as they should under the law. Um, but for but for the most part, um, you know, employers are willing to accommodate and will work with the employee.
1: Excellent. Um, so this is a, another question that I think probably comes up a lot um, and for Ms. Wolf and, and also for Dr. Fleischman to weigh in on as well. Um, I returned to work two weeks ago. All the employees treat me like a sick patient. People have gone out of their way to accommodate me. I'm very appreciative. Although I do have occasional downtime, but I'm feeling as sharp as before. Things have been awkward since I came back. How can I show that I'm just as good as before? So, Miss Wolf, do you want to comment on that? Um,
3: really common sure. reaction. Sure. Um. Sure. Sure. Um. I mean, there's two things. One is, of course. It- you show it in the work that you do, and just you know doing the best job that you can do um, I know oftentimes when someone requests an accommodation, the concern or the problem isn't necessarily with the employer but with the coworkers who will look at somebody who has a modified work schedule and question, well, why are they getting special treatment, why are they being treated differently?" And I always say that it's the employer's responsibility to handle these issues, not necessarily the employee who has the disability. So if you feel that things are getting to be too much or that there's um, too many people questioning your workability, particularly if it's a supervisor, to talk to human resources about this and, you know, see if there's anything that they can do to make it a more comfortable workspace. Otherwise, just, you know, getting in there and doing the work and um, showing everybody at work that, you know, that, that you're back and able to do all the essential functions of your job. Excellent. So, and Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything?
2: Sure. Um, A colleague taught me this a number of years ago, that when those uncomfortable situations come up and you feel like people are kind of looking at you like you're still a sick person or um, they're worried that you're going to get sick on the job, uh, a one-to-one in a quiet area um, seems to work the best and the employee can say thank you for all your concern during my uh, my illness or my absence, if you don't want to say what it is. Thank you for all the concern when you were out. Seems like everybody's worried that I'm n- not as energetic as I was before, but let me tell you, I'm feeling almost 100% better, and I'm fine now, or I'll be fine really soon, or uh, dismissing the concern like that can really work wonders.
1: Excellent, thank you. Thanks. Um, and um, we have uh, another question, which will probably be our last question from our online participants. Um, so I, this is for Ms. Wolf. I stopped working three months ago, and I'm not feeling well enough to return. I'm using COBRA for health insurance. What happens when I use up the maximum allotted time? HR mentioned something about an extension. How long can you use the extension? Can you file for another extension after the first?
3: So if this is pertaining um, simply to COBRA and to health insurance, um, again, check your state laws because, again, in New York, we have a three-year COBRA law, but the federal COBRA law is for 18 months, and it can't be extended except for somebody who applies for and is approved for Social Security disability. So if you apply for disability, as soon as you're approved, you could notify the who's ever administering the COBRA, and it will be extended from 18 months to 29 months. Other than that, there's not really any rules that require COBRA extensions. Um, and that most of the COBRA providers that we've worked with are pretty firm on, you know, the, the 18-month limit.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Well, there is one light-breaking question that just came through, so I just want to ask all my participants, Um, again, for Debra Wolf, Ms. Wolf. um, It was advised, I was advised not to speak with coworkers and supervisors regarding medical condition or upcoming procedures. How do you prepare for leave in that covering your workload if you don't tell them about leave?
3: Well, it's an interesting question because it doesn't say who advised, um, whether it was somebody... Um, at work, or um, somebody, somebody else, and again, it really is a case by case determination, and a lot depends on who you work for, the type of work that you do, particularly how large a company it is. If it's a larger company, they're you know going to take responsibility to make sure that somebody is there to cover. Um, in a smaller com- company, it's probably more noticeable, but um certainly to you know to talk with whether it's HR or the supervisors to make sure that there's a plan in place to cover your work while you're out um and again in terms of disclosure I'm not sure you know who told who told you that but you know everybody makes that decision it's it's a personal choice depending on again, how comfortable you are with the people that you work with. Um, but again, it, a lot's going to depend on where you work and, and what your job duties are. Um, but it's really, again, up to your company to make sure that there's a plan in place to cover you while you're on your job-protected leave. So is the issue of disclosure to be on that job-protected
1: leave, is that is that correct? Do you want to comment on that a little bit it's clear from this question that the, that's understood
3: Well, I mean, in terms of if I'm hearing the question correctly, in terms of disclosure, the only people that you need to disclose to are, for example, human resources or whoever would approve the job leave. There's no certainly no requirement that you disclose to other coworkers, and human resources is not allowed to disclose your protected medical information to other coworkers. Um and again it's up to human resources to or, or your supervisors to make sure that your work is covered while you're on leave uh, but there's no requirement of disclosure or um, you know again it's it yeah it really is up to your supervisor or your manager to make sure that that your work is covered on le- on your leave so
1: but it is important to before you take a leave to advise human resources?
3: Well, sure, absolutely. Right. If you're going to set up um, protected leave under FMLA, then um, you need to advise human resources, and all human resources have a process. They have some paperwork, they have some forms to complete, and the leave has to be approved under FMLA. Thank you. And Dr. Fleisman, do you want to add anything? Or?
2: Um, sometimes co-workers under that situation you just say, say I'm going to be out and not specify why or uh, just say I'm going to be out for a little while not specify why what the cause is what the details are uh, maybe just as simple as that
1: Excellent. well thank you I want to thank our speakers you've been really wonderful it's an amazing call a lot of a lot of information here on this call Um, And I want to thank all of our participants for really asking such really wonderful questions um, that really um, allow our speakers to elaborate on some of the points that were covered during the call itself. I want to remind all of you that this program is recorded and that you are able to access this call. I would say I'd give it a day or two. It will be up on our website um, as a podcast that you can listen to. It's also available on telephone replay so that – so that indeed, some, it's a lot of information, and so to some extent, you can listen to it as often as you want. It's 365 days a year, uh, 24 hours a day, so you know that. It's available to all of you. Again, um, I know some of you still have questions in queue, so I want to kind of go over with you um, ways that you can get your questions answered. So ha- if you have a questions and you really are, are think of things that, Came up for you, even if you asked a question, we do recommend that um, for any of your questions that you did ask, that you still go back to your treating healthcare team and discuss it a bit with them. Um, we also, of course, um, for anyone who still has remaining questions, um, please do contact Cancer Care. Um, our oncology social work staff should be able to assist you with some of your questions and concerns. Um, actually. Um, all of our staff um, are trained. We actually work very closely with the Neuroclean Assistance Group so that people have understanding of, of many of the topics we discussed today um, and also may be able to help you with your concerns um, in this area. Also, um, Ms. Wolf has provided additional resources that you can access uh, nationally to get help with your concerns um, so that you can get more information as well. Um, most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with uh, cancer, cancer in the workplace, any of the issues that you're dealing with. You now have a go-to place to come to, and if we can't help you with it, we will refer you to other organizations because there are so many other cancer organizations out there, um, and um, they they really all, can, all together can offer you a lot of services. So in the cancer world, to some extent, having more resources is a good thing, contacting many many places can be very helpful to you. I do want to let you know that um, there's a part two to this program on June 12th. Um, It's actually understanding the cost of care um, and your health care coverage, which kind of dovetails a bit with this call, and it's from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's a little different time zone, and you'll be getting information about that call as well, if you have signed up for it already. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you.